0: We've got an Old Testament scripture and a New Testament scripture. The Old Testament scripture is Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 through 17. If you're familiar with that passage it is the Ten Commandments. But because that exact passage is part of our catechism reading tonight I'm going to read the New Testament scripture 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 through 22. And then when we read our catechism reading tonight, Lord's Day 34, we will also be reading Exodus 20, 1 through 17. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 22. Before we read, we pray with me, Heavenly Father, enlighten the reading of your word to us, that we may see in it Christ and all His glory. It's in His name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse one through twenty-two. Hear now the reading of God's word. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, or that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than He? As far as the reading of God's Holy Word, also to include Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17, which is part of our catechism reading tonight. Lord's Day 34 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Finally getting to the third section on gratitude. This is our... Third, Lord's Day, in this section on gratitude. And we are getting into our exposition of the Ten Commandments, beginning with the first. Question 92 says, what does the Lord say in His law? And the answer is, God spoke all these words. In a direct quotation from Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17, here now. The first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work... You or your son or your daughter or your manservant or your maidservant or your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The sixth commandment. You shall not kill. The seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Question 93 says, how are these commandments divided? The answer into two tables. The first has four commandments teaching us what our relation to God should be. The second has six commandments, teaching us what we owe our neighbor. Question 94 asks, What does the Lord require in the first commandment? Answer, That I, not wanting to endanger my very salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, magic, superstitious rites, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. That I sincerely acknowledge the only true God, trust Him alone, look to Him for every good thing, Humbly and patiently love him, fear him, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I give up anything rather than go against his will in any way. Question 95, what is idolatry? And the answer, idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. That is the reading of Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 through 17 and um, the teaching of the catechism concerning Lord's Day 34 and the first commandment of God. I want you to imagine with me a scenario, one where you have traveled through a desert and you are parched with thirst. And you come upon a room. And it's not a mirage, it really is a room. And in this room, there's a table in front of you. And there's a number of bottles with liquid in them. And you've been traveling through a desert, you're perched. You're thirstier than you have ever been. You need a drink really bad. And in this room, there is a person with you. And they say to you, before you rush towards that table with all the liquids in it to just start pouring it down your throat, that you're free. You're free to drink from any of the containers set before you. And all these containers, they're different colors of liquids. But they say, even though you're free to drink from all the containers, you should only drink from the red one and not any of the others. You're free to, but you should only drink from the red one, not any of the others. And maybe you're asking, what's the reason for that? Why this person would say to you, only drink from the red one and not any of the others. And the answer is because the red one, the red drink, is the only one that is not poison. It's the only one that is not poison. Now, this is what I want you to think. Would you say then that that person who's in that room with you, after you've traveled through a desert, you're parched, you're thirstier than you've ever been in your life, you're thinking if you don't get a drink, you're going to die, who then presents you with this multiplicity of options of things that you should drink, but who informs you that you should only drink from the red one because all the other drinks are poison, they're poisonous. Would you say that that person who told you this is unloving? Because they have limited your choices now by telling you this information. They have made it now that you can't drink from these other things. They've given you a rule, a guideline. They said you can, but if you drink from those, it's poisonous. You should only drink from the red one. Thou shalt drink from the red one. Is that an unloving person, an unloving thing that that person has done to limit you in that way? Now this analogy breaks down, of course, but it was an attempt by me to help us understand the nature of the first commandment. The first commandment that God gives is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, You shall have no other gods before me. Not only is this commandment given in the context of redemption, of a a loving God who has redeemed the people of Israel, right? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the God that has freed you from your slavery. But then when we hear those words, you shall have no other gods before me, we can begin to believe a lie about God, that God doesn't really want what's best for us, that God doesn't really want what's best for us, that he's keeping us from things that we think will make us happy, will enrich our lives, and that he's just a, 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 a God that doesn't like seeing his people have fun and enjoy themselves. He doesn't really have our best interests in mind. And we look at that first commandment in that way, right? We look at him as the person who tells us we can't drink from any of the other containers. But if we remember that all the other containers of liquid are poison, then the commandment, you shall have no other drinks besides the red one, is actually a loving commandment, is it not? And that's really what God is saying when he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He's not simply saying that this direct command that says, you shall have no other gods before me. What he's also doing is protecting us from all the other false gods which are actually poison and death. And inviting us to himself where true life, true joy can be had. So our theme tonight then is in line with that, isn't it? It is in love. God calls us to himself and commands us to forsake all others. In love, God commands us, or God calls us to himself, and he commands us to forsake all others. We're going to look at three points tonight. Who is God? What are our idols? And who are we? So let's look at that first point together. Who is God? I tried to emphasize for us tonight... That God is a redeeming God. And that often when we think of the commands of God, we think of them in the negative sense. We think negative, right? God is saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But when we look at the first command, you shall have no other gods before me, as an invitation of God calling us to himself, who is the one true God, it's a loving command. It's a a command that encourages us to the true source of life, the true source of real happiness and peace and longing and lasting foreverness. So God is a redeeming God, and that's what is emphasized in that first part of the first command, right? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's what makes the commandments... Commandments that are from the perspective of gratitude. Gratitude, right? But as our New Testament scripture passage describes for us, God is also a righteous God. In the church in Corinth, it was having all kinds of problems, and Paul's encouragement to them was also a warning, to give them a warning of their behaviors and their actions, that they would not fall and stumble as the people of Israel did. And in so doing, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers, the people of Israel, they experienced great and wonderful things under the cloud, passed through the sea, baptized into Moses, ate the same spiritual food, the manna, drank the same spiritual drink, drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, that was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Forty years, that whole generation passed away, wandering around in the desert, not being allowed to go into the promised land because of their lack of faith. These things occurred to them as types as examples for us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did? And what is the warning? What does Paul say was the great curse of those people who lost their lives in the desert wandering, not being allowed in an entrance the promised land? What was the thing that those people Who ate? Said, sat down to eat and drink, and got up to indulge. Who, who who, uh, those people who died? Twenty-three thousand of them in one day, or those who tested the Lord and were bitten by the snakes, or grumbled and were killed by the destroying angel. What was the common denominator of all them? They were idolaters. What does Paul say? These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. God is a righteous God who judges idolaters. We need to see who God is. We need to know who God is if we are going to go to Him and forsake all others. We have to have A test to be able to determine what are false gods and who is the true God. God is a redeeming God. God is one who has saved us, redeemed us from our sins. And God is a righteous God who is not okay with our sins. The first part of Lord's Day 34 discusses the breakdown of the commandments. I want to emphasize in question 94 and 95 tonight. Part of the answer to question 94, what does the Lord require in the first commandment, is this, that I sincerely acknowledge the only true God, trust Him alone, look to Him for every good thing, humbly and patiently love Him, fear Him, honor Him with all my heart. How can we do that if we don't know who God is? Who is God? God is a redeeming God. God is a righteous God. And if we want to know who God is, we need to go to the Bible. The Bible is the revelation of who God is Genesis to Revelation. He has revealed himself to us, his character, what he is like, what he is not like. It's all there, written in his word. Read the Psalms. Read the descriptions of who he is in the Psalms. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Go to Isaiah. Read that he is the only true God. Before him there is no other. After him there shall be none. Read about this God. And then go to where God has ultimately and finally revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ his son. If we are going to go to God who calls us to himself in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. If we are going to forsake all others, then we need to know what we are forsaking and we need to know who we are being called to. It's in his word that he shows us who he is. It's in Jesus Christ that he has revealed himself. If you have seen him, you have seen the Father. And it's this Jesus who in a very real sense repeats the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. In the New Testament when he says, Come to me, all you who weary and are heavy burdened, and I shall give you rest. What is that if it's not in love God calling us to himself? Christ knows that the yoke of idols is burdensome. It is heavy laden. And that his yoke is easy. Christ, in our analogy, is that person in that room telling you not to drink from any of the other containers because they're poison. But instead of saying, drink from the red one, he says, drink from me. Drink from me. I am where your thirst will be quenched. All others are broken cisterns. What about that second question? What are our idols? So if we've talked about who God is, right? So that we know who it is that's calling us to himself in love, then we ought to know what it is that we are being called to, commanded to forsake. And that is all other gods. Tim Keller wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. You know what? I'm going to do a little g for that. Counterfeit gods. And the the basis of that book is examining a lot of our modern idols and showing that they're counterfeit gods. Um, Ones that are popular in our society today. Sex, money, power. Influence, security, safety. The list could go on, right? In Paul's passage of the warning against idolatry from Israel's history, it's so easy for us, right, to look at the Old Testament and to think about idols as these little figurines that people would worship. It's so easy for us to look at the Old Testament and and mock the people of Israel because they worshipped Molech and they worshipped Baal and they had these false concepts of idols. But really, all the idols were, were a mirage in order for them to pursue their own desires, Their own temptations, cravings. And so, it is not a surprise that when the New Testament comes, there is still much discussion about idols, but it's not about the figurines, it's not about the little statues that you place on your mantle, it's not about all those things, because all those are is a distraction from what's really going on in the heart of a person. And so Paul uses these illustrations from the history of Israel in order to warn the Corinthian church and to warn us to forsake idols, to forsake all others, to forsake False gods, false comforts, false hopes, false pleasures. Do not be idolaters. Some of them were, as it is written, people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Don't commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Don't test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. You see what Paul is doing here. He's taking away those figurines and he's showing them that what was going on in the heart of these people is the real problem. The sexual immorality, the desire to find pleasure and comfort in sex. The pleasure and comfort in, in, um, in, in hedonism eat, drink, be merry. The heart that wants to test the Lord does not believe the Lord, does not trust in the Lord, the one who grumbles and complains. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And this is where Paul begins to speak to us, to our hearts We're going to save that for the second point, or the last and final point. Who are we? But we have to ask our question, what are our idols? What are the things that we drink trying to find comfort, security, safety, pleasure? Trying to get away from the stress that we experience that aren't God. Question 94, first part of it, that I not wanting to endanger my very salvation, remember all those other beverages, all those other liquids, they're poison, avoid and shun all idolatry, magic, superstitious rites, prayer of saints and other creatures. The catechism is pointing out the false kinds of worship that have become popular at the time it was written in the Roman Catholic tradition and are still very widely practiced Today. Nonetheless, we need to read this, not wanting to endanger my very salvation, I avoid and shun all idolatry, and think for ourselves, what are the things that we pursue that are not God, seeking from them what only God can give, sex, money, power, influence, security, safety, what are our heart's desires, what are our cravings? And we need to know that in the first commandment God is commanding us to forsake all of them. To forsake all of those. In fact what question 94 says in short that I give up anything rather than go against his will in any way. And I would tweak that wording that it's not just God's will that we're going against it's God himself. In short that I give up anything rather than Go against God, who's calling us to Him. That I give up anything rather than giving up God, whom in all things He, He can provide. All good gifts come from the Father of lights, rather than go against His will in any way. Idolatry is defined by the catechism as having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. It's a a fine definition. Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God. And what we need to see, see when we read that, when we hear that, It's not simply an element of worship in the formal sense that we think of, right? Like it's describing here, prayers to saints, that's idolatry because that's not to God. And we bring it alongside God, worshiping Him, right? Idolatry, magic, superstitious rites. It's not simply that that we do, but idolatry is seeking in something with our desires, from our heart, with the cravings that we have, the fulfillment and the satisfaction that can come only from God. It's seeking in something else, what only God can provide. That's why it's loving that God says, only have me forsake all others. All others are poison." the death, the destruction. You see, that is the craftiness of idols, isn't it? Of pursuing our cravings and our desires of our hearts in something else than God. Is that at first, it feels good. But then we're trapped. We're ensnared. And it's never enough until we're stuck in a prison of our own cravings, our own desires, and we can't escape without the help of God and His Spirit. Those who pursue idols become like them. We've got to ask this last question then. Who are we? This last question is important because it's not only important that we understand who God is, it's not only that we under- important that we understand what our idols are, but we have to understand our own nature, our own character, who we are. The last part, or one part of our reading tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We often minimize the danger of idols. We minimize the danger of idols and we maximize our own ability. That is a deadly combination. It's a deadly combination because it lowers our defenses. It lowers our awareness of the battle that is going on around us at all times. You see, God is a redeeming God, and God is a righteous God, right? We are redeemed people. We are a righteous people. And when I say we're a righteous people, we're a righteous people because we have been given the righteousness of Christ But it is that righteousness of Christ that we have been given that we are being sanctified in. And so when I say we are a redeemed people and we are a righteous people, I am not saying that there isn't work to be done yet. We are still growing in our obedience to the first commandment. Thou shall have no other gods before me. But it's important that we realize that that battle is alive. It exists. That we are continuing to fight against our idols, the things that we find comfort in that are not God. The things that we seek apart from God. The things that we have or invent in which we trust in place of or alongside of the only true God. Who are we We are redeemed people, we are righteous people, but we are people who are still susceptible to the sin and the temptations that are in this world. And so Paul gives us firm warning. If you think you're standing firm, if you minimize the dangers of idols and you maximize your own ability, be careful that you don't fall. But he says, That now in this New Testament era, in this new age of having been freed from the tyranny of the devil by the work of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That is the temptation... That comes from idols, the temptation that comes from a desire to disobey the first commandment. A temptation that comes from believing lies about God that he doesn't love us, that he doesn't want what's best for us, that he's holding out on us. That we have to pursue our desires, our cravings, that we have to go after these other things because God can't satisfy us. We don't have to give in to those temptations. Because what the Holy Spirit has done in us and is doing in us and what Christ has accomplished for us and on our behalf and in our behalf. Who are we? We're redeemed sinners. We are righteous people who are being sanctified And all of our life, our expression of gratitude when it concerns the first commandment is a continual observation coming back to and returning to the reality that in love God calls us to himself and commands us to forsake all others, that as we go through life, part of what Lord's Day 33 called the dying away of the old self is the giving up of things that we hold on to in place of God or alongside of God so that we can truly enjoy all of God, all that he has to offer us. And it's a continually renewing and growing in our understanding that God can satisfy us, that God does satisfy us, that God is enough. Let's go back to that room, right? There's a man in there and he tells you the red drink is the only one that's not poison. What that man is doing is not being mean by limiting your choices. He's pointing you to the only drink that can give you life, that can fulfill you that won't harm you, that won't poison you, that won't kill you. What he's doing is loving you. And that's what the first commandment is. God, the redeeming God and God, the righteous God, calls out to us in love and calls us to himself. Gives us himself in Jesus Christ, his son. And commands us to forsake all others. Not because he's holding out on us. Not because he doesn't want us to be happy. But because he knows that only in him can we be satisfied. Only in him can we be fulfilled. Only in him can we actually get what we are looking for in all the others? In love, God calls us to himself and commands that we forsake all others. My prayer is that you would go to God, find in him all that you need, Go to Christ and see in Him the revelation of a God who has made Himself known to us that we might find our true fulfillment in Him. And that as we look to God, as we look to Christ, we would more and more relinquish our grips upon all the idols that we are clinging to. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us and keep us. Help us to forsake all others. Help us Help us to love you and to find in you all that we need. To Christ's name we pray. Amen.